I planned to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing, rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires. Many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. So I'm, I'm so excited to get my buddy Scott Mordell in front of my listeners. Uh, Scott's an amazing guy. He's a leader of leaders. Starting out in the, in the accounting world, uh, going to school for accounting in, in uh, Michigan, uh, you know, becoming an accountant in a big firm, and then having the opportunity to go to work for an entrepreneurial organization like the Duchess Squad Group, uh, being mentored by uh, you know just two great guys, a father-son team, Dick Duchess and his son Craig, um, as well as you know so many. Uh, he, he's become such an amazing leader in the world today. So not just a CEO of a normal company, but a CEO of 28,000, 28,000 CEOs across the globe. How crazy is that? Um, and, and this guy does a, just a, does a, an awesome job of, of guiding this great organization, YPO Globally, um, an organization that's grown from, I think, 18,000 members, he'll talk about, to 28,000 members. And boy, and, and you know, when I joined uh, before Scott was a CEO, there's, there, there, was, uh, there was a lot of work to do for the, for the, for the members of YPO to get other YPOs in. Um, and there's just not a lot of work anymore. People are, are pounding on the door to get into YPO chapters all over the world. Uh, so it's really, really something else. Uh, it's, uh, the tips for success that he's going to talk about, the five tips that he sees for success, are, 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 uh, are different than, than many I've heard. But, boy, they sure do resonate well. So uh, so excited. Uh, get your listening ears on and, uh, and listen to this person that not many people get the opportunity to spend the time with. Uh, Scott Mordell, a, a, a great friend of mine, a guy I really love, and, and a, an amazing leader in our world today. So uh, get ready and listen to uh, Scott on Ditch Digger CEO. Thank you. Welcome, everybody, to Ditch Digger CEO today. And, uh, boy, we're going to have a blast today. We got, we've got we got a buddy of mine that, uh, that I really respect a lot, and I lo- love this guy. Um, he, uh, he exudes what leadership is about, you know, in our show guys, where we usually have, you know, we have, we have, we have some entrepreneurs, right? Startup entrepreneurs. We have CEOs that take over f- family businesses that think like entrepreneurs or CEOs that are operators, right? 
we've got a mix of, of amazing uh, minds, and it's a blast interview. Scott's a little different than all these, and Scott, you know, Scott has led, you know, a, a group of companies um, back, uh, you know, from, from what thirty years ago, I'm guessing, till maybe fifteen years ago, and then Scott today is the leader of leaders in in the world of YPO. Mm. So, you know, we think about this, we have 26 or 7,000, and Scott could probably correct me on this, but 26 or 7,000 members of YPO globally, CEOs of companies across the globe, and Scott is the leader of leaders. So that that's quite a responsibility. So that means he's the CEO of CEOs. Exactly. <laughs> Thousands of CEOs, right? And 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 it's like herding cats. So think about that. I mean, these people are 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 like me, kind of many of them like me a little crazy, right? Uh, ADD, or they're you know some are highly educated, some aren't educated. Just all different, just all different personalities. Some are demanding as heck, right? They want the best of the best, and they demand the best of the best. Well, Scott leads the, the group of these CEOs like nobody I've ever seen, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a blast today with Scott. So Scott, thanks for being here, brother, and uh, welcome. Thank you. You may have oversold me just a little bit, Gary. You no know, way. I feel like I'm, I'm working for 22, uh, 28,000 people. And no so I don't feel like I'm leading them necessarily. And, uh, um, but, uh, but it's great fun and it's a great organization and I'm, I'm proud to be with it. That's, that's what leaders do, right? They, they just, uh, they, they work, they work for whoever's, you know, they serve whoever, whoever they're there to serve. Right. And I, I was at, uh, I was at a, um, what they, I think they called it the Latin Latin America real estate roundtable the last couple of days in Miami, and uh, talking to a, a gal that leads a lot of these events, Kelly Kelly, and and then uh, the some of the leaders of this this um, uh, committee for this group. And uh, every time I met, you know, a couple times I mentioned Scott's name. Heck yeah, I know Scott. Oh, you know Scott's amazing. And Kelly Kelly, I know she works directly with you a lot, and she loves you. I mean, anybody that I know in YPO anywhere that knows Scott just just thinks the, the world of him. And 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 I learned why as I became a forum mate of Scott's about three year three years ago, about right, Scott, three and a half years ago. Yeah. And uh, I was blessed enough to uh, to to get him in my forum in mm. in this YPO uh, Heartland chapter we're in. And man, it's been a blast getting to know him. But Scott, this we, this is uh this is about your story, buddy. So we want to why don't you just kind of tell your story? It's a conversation. And uh, we love to always start out with your your childhood, right? You, your, your, how you were brought up, how you you became the person you are today, the fa- you know family that that drove you to who you are, and all that. So if you can start from that, we'd love to hear it. Well, thank you very much, and uh, this is a great opportunity to, to to talk about all of this and leadership and everything else that it goes with. Um, for me, my my story is not uh, too remarkable, I, I don't think, at least compared to many of the people I've met. I grew up uh, middle class in Detroit, um, and I was the middle child of five boys in our family. And uh, we grew up in a very basic, classic American suburb uh, back in the uh, 70s and 80s. Uh, so um, with that, uh, heavy into sports, um, you know, did all the did all the stuff people did back then, which was, uh, you know, we'd leave the house in the morning. We'd never come back until uh, after dark and, yeah. and uh, kind of fill the gaps with uh, a lot of fun in between and occasional mischief. And so with that, uh, went through school, did OK, was always a decent student, but um, uh, always did just enough to get by. OK, my, my, my goal was not to um, not to gain the scrutiny of my parents when it came to grades. OK, so mm-hmm. I had four other brothers who were racing for scrutiny. So um, <laughs> so I just kind of found a way to stay out of the out of the way um, in, in that way. 
And um, from there, uh, ended up in, uh, in an all-boys Catholic high school. My, my dad found that uh, putting boys in Catholic high school was really a good idea for a little bit more discipline than maybe we were showing uh, earlier. And, uh-huh. and uh, I, would, I would agree with that. The, the high school was in, in the city of Detroit, and it had a very mixed um, uh, population in terms of uh, people who were from a nearby suburb as well as uh, you know, people from the city and people who couldn't afford to attend. And it was a nice, nice mix in the Lasallian mission. Mm-hmm. And that really helped frame me quite a bit because the Christian brothers that were there um, really kind of kicked me in the pants every chance they had um, to, to, to get me to do more. Then from there, uh, the coaching was go to college. You have to go to college. You have to pay your own bills. There was no question about any of that in my mind. And um, hey, I thought let, I wanted to be an let engineer. Me, let me go back to uh, sports. Yeah. Tell me a sports that you were you, you were involved in, oh, and your your brothers yeah, and yourself you. were involved in, and tell me how, how that looked. Thank you. Um, loved loved all sports. I played. You know, I would play everything. You know, basketball, baseball, um, uh, hockey, uh, football. Uh, th- those were my main ones. Uh, I dropped out of basketball really quickly when it was clear that the one um, when I jumped, um, you couldn't get paper <laughs> underneath my heel. <laughs> And, and, and two, if the ball was rolling, I had no desire to die for it. Okay, so, <laughs> so uh, that was not my path. My my passionate sports. Uh, I love baseball, but it was uh, too boring once I got a little bit older. And so um, it was all about football and hockey. Mm-hmm. I was goalie in hockey. Um, it was greatest position of any sport. Yeah. Um, you don't. You never come out of the game. You see the whole game in front of you. Um, and uh, I, I, I just loved it. And I regret that I had to stop playing hockey because I had to choose between have having friends at an inner city Detroit high school, which had no hockey team or playing hockey. And, and I chose my friends uh, in, in high school. So, That's cool. so, so that ended up taking me to, um, uh, to college. I played division three football, uh, um, was the smallest offensive lineman. I think I played at two thirty, which would, which, which would barely make me a, um, you know, a flanker back uh, these days. Uh, but, uh, um, but I was studying for accounting. What school accounting. is that? What school is that, Scott? Again? I went to Albion College for two years. Okay. A small right. school had um, eighteen hundred people, I believe, and um, wow. Then it it was it was just way too small. Uh, um, and, you know, even even when school was in session, I think the town had ten thousand people in it. Okay, so um, uh, so that was just a sign for um, a bunch of bored college kids is not really a good recipe for success. You know, so yeah. so I, I ended up transferring up to Michigan State, which was a giant school with had forty thousand people on campus, and. Um, so uh, that, for my last so that two that two hundred and twenty thirty pound uh, lineman probably wasn't working out there though was it? Uh, no, you know I was thinking about playing football, but I figured um, at, at Michigan State the only thing I could have done was get on a, a special team, you know, and, and hear my hear my name on the uh, um, on the uh, PA, you know, during one game would be my would be my ultimate <laughs> achievement. And the price for that to happen to play on the scout team against all those really big guys uh, was not really that great. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I bailed bailed from that and and uh, had a really great college experience because I had the small liberal arts school and then I had the big university and um, got to got to see the world through both lenses and and, and turned out real well. And graduated in accounting and did what accountants do is when you don't know what you want to be. Um, you go into public accounting. <laughs> so, uh, all right. uh, so I went into public accounting, and um, uh, the idea was you, you, you get to get into a lot of different businesses, get exposed to what business different businesses are, and hopefully get hired by one of those businesses or figure something out. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, all I figured out was in the first year, I absolutely hated financial statement auditing. Okay, mm-hmm. it, and it was like um, it was just crazy. I mean, just the. You go in, it was all after the fact, and I'm sure it's different now. But uh, but for me and my personality, it was uh, um, it was just really hard. I had a problem though, 
because in Michigan, you had to work for two years in public accounting before you could become a, a CPA. All so right. I had, um, in, in a year when you're 22 years old is an eternity, right? Yeah. So, um, so I was able to switch firms and get into the tax department of another firm, which I found really fun because I was doing things prospectively. I was working on big transactions. My mistakes and or my good, my good insights ended up having direct monetary value to my clients. And, and so sure. um, that was really fun. And I got to work for some really fascinating families in, in Detroit. You know, the Illich family, the Polk family, uh, the Cranes family from Cranes Communications, and um, just really had some wonderful exposure to um, ongoing family businesses and infrastructures, as well as uh, um, just from from the um, from the financial side. And I did. How many businesses within a year, Scott, would you be touching like at that point in your life? Oh, I, I would have had um, twenty-five clients uh, okay. um, in, in different different degrees um, uh, in terms of what what my involvement would be with them. Okay. And a lot of that would depend if if there was a transaction or, or whichever else so was going what, on. So what a cool experience it was huh, to be able to, to just to peek in in these businesses and under, you know, just understand a little bit about all of them, right? Yeah, it wasn't. You know, um, uh, I, I know we 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 always talk about mentorship, about who we learn from, and what all that is. But you know, really, one of my first business mentors was was uh, the youngest partner in what was then Touche Ross history, which is now part of Deloitte. And um, he, uh, Ray Lombardi, he, he took me under his arm and um, really kind of coached me through the whole program. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I got put on a lot of great accounts because, you know, he was he was kind of watching for me. And, and so um, it's big lesson it started out early that, you know, this is very much about people. And, and uh, um, you know, there's always somebody there who can either help you or kind of get in your way. Or if you don't know what's going on, can really help you figure it out. And, and he was one of those people. And so so, um, so he was great. So he was a guy that, that had passion for the industry. You could see it probably in him and, and transferred some of that to you at the time, huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, he was running the Detroit office, which at the time was the biggest office in the firm. Mm. And, and uh, um, uh, he um, he stayed stayed with Deloitte after after they merged because it used to be Deloitte and Touche uh, back in the day. Now it's just yeah. Deloitte done so many mergers. And so he, he, he stayed through that for, for the entire time and uh, kept himself interested because he wasn't doing just client service the entire time. He was starting to lead sure. different businesses in the firm. So really, um, really fun, uh, restless spirit in a good way. Yeah. So, is he still alive today? He is. He is. And um, just a, a great guy. We've fallen a bit out of contact, um, you know, over time. But, uh, but you know, he, uh, from a business standpoint, he kind of, he coached me. And, and there's a really great moment. Um, I was, uh, Cutting corners, as you would say, I was finishing up a bunch of returns, and it was tax deadline day, right, and everything else. And um, we had some software that did the did the work, not not as well as it happens now. And I had just kind of not really gone through everything with enough detail. And here's a partner on this account going through all of these different returns, um, and he's got to sign them because it's his name that that signs on behalf of the firm. Sure. And he comes into my office. I'll never forget it. He says, "Scott, look at this." And it's like on the front page of one of the returns, the numbers didn't add up. He says, you know, even if you're wrong, okay, the numbers have to add up. And, and so, <laughs> uh, so and, and, and it was really great because he, he, he just uh, said, look, um, you're better than this. Um, we, we, we in our business, uh, the details matter. Okay, sure. and, and and you have to be on it, and and that um, that raised my game so much, literally from from that moment forward, because I, I I felt like I really disappointed him, and I I, I always thought I was going to be pretty good, but that was not pretty good, and and <laughs> having pointed out in a in a um and what in, in a pretty powerful way in a consulting firm uh, was 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 really great for me. So wow, that's awesome. Yeah. 
that was good. But I did I did public accounting for what ended up being about four years and concluded that uh, that was not going to be a life for me. And when people don't know what they want to do next and they don't have a business idea or whatever else, they, they go to grad school. It's <laughs> <So laughs> exactly what I did. How old were so, you at that um, point? Twenty what five? I was twenty six. And, yeah. and, um, and, and so from there, we um, I ended up at Kellogg. I got in on the waiting list literally two days before or actually about four days before class started. And uh, um, uh, so my wife and I found an apartment and moved in, in the course of, uh, you know, literally, uh, you know, 72 hours. And uh, we, we got so Kellogg, got not the, not a bad place. I've heard is that is, is that the cereal joint that has a school tied to it, or what's with that? Yes, I've heard, yes. I've heard it's, it's a good place. I just it, did. it's the study of flakes. You know, <laughs> flakes unique, and, and, and so um, uh, the, you could just go on for years. But I was in a one year program for that, so so I'm I'm only a novice at flakes. Uh, but uh, um, uh, but Kellogg was phenomenal because I've heard, I've heard uh, for me. Um, Coming from Detroit, where it was really very much about manufacturing, and in my family, it was very much about you know pay your own bills, be self-sustaining. I never really thought about the breadth of opportunity. It was always like moving to what's next to hopefully climb a little bit of a ladder, but also um, stay employed and mm-hmm. um, ultimately had a little bit more risk averse because um, in Detroit, I had a lot of experience with a lot of people not working, and and, mm-hmm. and the, the culture of my what I experienced in Detroit was very much about it's good to have a job, much better than not right, having a job. Right. Okay, and so therefore, um, the, I treasured, I treasured working maybe maybe implicitly or subconsciously a little bit more than others, and and I think that that uh, um, for me, you know, my path was always going to go for a little bit more stability, and mm-hmm. and, I, and I think I've played that through in, in a lot of ways in my career. Um, Although I've, I've played disruption in a different way, I think. Sure. And uh, um, so, but Kellogg, after being at Kellogg for a little while, because uh, Touche Ross um, had funded my Kellogg and, and I was supposed to go back and, and be a consultant, um, they, they didn't do that. They do it frequently now, but that was unheard of in, in those days. Mm-hmm. And um, I just decided I wasn't going to do that. So um, I paid them back and took out some loans and ended up, uh, got some good advice at Kellogg from a uh, um, Martin Koldyke, who was one of the venture capitals from uh, this from Frontenac, and he came in and spoke to our firm and uh, says, "Look, I don't know why all you really supposedly smart kids, okay, go into consulting and do all this other kinds of stuff because one day you're going to work in a business." He says, "It makes no sense." And he says, "If you want to start in a business." Go to the business and start working in the business. That's the only way you're going to grow and build and understand the business and get better and build your own equity in the business. Um, and it's just just go get started. He says, I just don't understand. I think all you guys chase all this investment banking and consulting stuff when you really you say you want to be in a business. And darn it, go get in a business. Make America better. And wow. Uh, wow, that's and cool. uh, that, yeah, that really struck with me too. And yeah. so I, I took that and um, uh, had already done consulting in my view from my from my public accounting days. And um, then uh, ended up working with, um, answered a newspaper ad of all things. They didn't come on campus for a, um, a financial analyst uh, with Duchessois Industries. Okay, and Duchessois um, is a big, big family here in town. Uh, they've mm-hmm. been here um, literally since for, forever. Uh, but they, at that time, they had 28 different businesses, and uh, all the ranging from um, uh, um, uh, defense contracting to Home, home improvement type products to uh, rail cars to depleted uranium to some research groups to TV and radio stations. It was classic entrepreneur aggregation of businesses, and that was really stimulating. And at the time, he was rebuilding Arlington Racecourse, right. and um, so he was in the he was in the news quite a bit. And so, um, so I joined him. I wanted to get into manufacturing, 
And I'll never forget because the position for, was for a financial analyst. And, uh, and I said, look, um, I'm an MBA. <laughs> and they're like, so? We don't hire MBAs usually, you know? And I was like, well, I don't want to be a financial analyst. I want to, you know, I want to do more business stuff and everything else. And so they said, okay, I'll tell you what, we'll call you a senior business analyst. Oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> let's go with that. Okay. And so, and so I did. And, and, uh, um, uh, you know, the economy began to turn right after I joined and, 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 um, uh, all these different businesses began to struggle a little bit. And, um, they took me as a business analyst to work with one of their consultants, um, uh, to really go around from business to business and, and, and say, Hey, I'm from corporate. <laughs> We're going to restructure your business so that we can make money again. They, they always love to see that, don't they? they yeah, see, yeah, yeah. Always yeah. see you walking in the door. Hey, I'm from corporate. You're to restructure. Just keep smiling, right? <laughs> so, um, so, uh, um, so I got so many exposure to different businesses and, and and got to work with some really really bright people, and also started to find myself in the room with uh, Mr. Dushiswa, his son, and, and and the senior leadership groups. And and really got to start to have that kind of interaction with people. Right. And so this is this would that, be like the uh, what late eighties, Scott. No, this is uh, this is uh, eighty nine ninety. Yeah, and, okay. and, uh, and and uh, and so we, I, I think I went to thirteen or fourteen businesses uh, really in that that tour. One of those took me to Arlington uh, Park, which um, had just reopened in eighty nine, mm-hmm. and um, it was losing money. And and they said, look, you know, we got to we got to cut some of this operating cost out. And, and so we, so I did a, uh, did a project there and we cut out, I think 25 or 30% of the overhead. And, um, wow. I planned it. And, and, uh, um, and of course we didn't want to detract from the customer experience. And so there was a lot of, a lot of negotiation and work relative to the team that was there. And then, uh, Dick said, Hey, um, Dick Dashiswa said, Hey, I'd really like you to stay here and help us implement this, uh, and, and kind of go forward. And, and, and I said to Dick, I said, look, I joined you to do manufacturing. I'm from Detroit. I, I, I want to do manufacturing. And to me, that's really, really what I'm here for. And, and Dick, here's this guy. He's just like, like this mega business icon in Chicago, <laughs> entrepreneur and everything else. And he, and he leans in and he looks at me and says, look, I thought I was going to be an attorney. Look, I, okay. So why don't you start here on Monday? Okay. And, and so um, it was it was really, really great because um, I, I got to office uh, right next to him, right you know, down the hall, a couple doors. I saw him every single day, and um, he turned out to be a uh, just an incredible mentor for me. So, Scott, um, I, I got a couple yeah. questions when it comes yeah. when it comes to uh, Dick. Well, and obviously with him being having so many businesses and having this visionary mindset, as you saw, and you obviously, like you said, it was a mentor. What were some characteristics, or what were some a trace that you saw in him being the visionary entrepreneur that he, that he is um, that either you emulate or you even duplicate right now back all that you've seen back in the 90s? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And, and thank you for that. Um, and he had been in World War Two. He fought the panzer divisions in World War Two. You know, he was in Battle of the Bulge. Wow. OK, and, and he had a couple of Purple Hearts. He was toe tagged, I, I believe, even. OK, and, and um, he, you wait, know, wait, wait, he, toe tag. Tell him what that means. Oh, he was toe tagged. He was left for dead uh, for a period of time, and as it turns out, he wasn't dead. And somebody noticed him, and and um, he, he lived through lived through an injury in battle. Okay, and and um, wow. And he he ended up joining. He went to Culver Military Academy in, in Northwestern Indiana, and he ended up joining the military maybe a little bit young. Okay, and so um, he had some really formative leadership lessons that were experienced that when. He made mistakes. People died. Okay, mm-hmm. or even when he did things right, people died. Okay, me, I'm 
the only helmets I've worn are a football helmet and a hockey helmet. Okay. <laughs> and, a, and a bad day is my shoulder hurts. Right. And, and, and uh, um, he, he had uh, what really just struck me for the profile that I'm framing up here for you for, for myself is he just had, he had no fear. Okay. Mm. It's like, um, okay, this may work. This may not work, but we're going to do it anyway. And, and he was always willing to do the, what he thought was right as opposed to what was, um, what was the easiest path. And, and a really great example is, um, at Arlington Racecourse, you know, we'd have half a million people come to the racetrack or a million o- over the course of a, of a season. And, you know, somebody loses on their bets and they, they come back with these crazy claims like I slipped on a pickle and you owe me twenty four ninety. Like, how much did you lose on that last race? Well, twenty four ninety. You know, so it, it was really kind of crazy. And so and, and you get these claims and stuff. And, and a lot of firms say, look, you know, that's the cost of doing business. It's noise. Um, we're, we're, we're just gonna, we're, we're just not going to fight all those. And so some of them escalate in cost and, and, and impact. And he was like, look, if it's ours and we owe it, let's pay it. And if we don't owe it and someone's scamming us there, let's, we're not going there. Okay. I, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather stay with what's right. So to be a CFO and ultimately the CEO of, of Arlington park and to be liberated by, by somebody saying, no, I want to do the right thing. Mm. Okay. And it, it was, um, it was extraordinary because so many people will take the financial, um, uh, Absolutely. short, short to it in time. When you get a pattern of that behavior, your, your claims do go down. Okay. Be, be, and stuff, but, but it takes, takes a little pain in the near term in order to do that. He was willing to do it and he was just willing to, to, um, to be right. Okay. And, and I was also willing, very willing to be wrong. And, and so I, I, I took a lot of models from that and I think I carried from there very much. It's like, let's, let's do what we know is right in the long run and, um, stay true to that. And, and I'm willing to take short-term pain for it. And so, and so, that, um, so that's been my play. That's, that's, that's amazing. And you exude these things, Scott, the, the cool thing is knowing Scott, he exudes these things. I mean, yeah. he, he, many people, most people don't last in this role Scott's in because he's got so many people watching, right? So many leaders watching that are multimillionaires and billionaires watching what he does and, and leading these, these, uh, these, these different, um, uh, different groups, whether it be a network, a construction network that I'm in, or real estate network I'm in, and all these networks. There's so many networks, and they're all leaders of leaders that are that are leading them, right? And they're and they're looking at Scott on a constant basis, questioning what he's doing. So, cool thing about Scott is he's been here for longer than anybody I've known in this position. Uh, se- seven years now, Scott? Is it eight years? What is yeah, it? it's eight years. I'm the longest tenured person eight, in my role, so, so I don't know if that's good or bad. So actually. eight years. You know, he's never going to tell you, brag about him like that, right? But but he he nothing bother, nothing bothers him. He takes it all with a grain of salt and, and makes the best decision he believes at the time and, and keeps rolling. And and, it, and I think any leader can learn from that, right? I mean, you, you, you got to make the best decision you believe you can make and, and you, you got to lead with courage make the and, and treat people like you want to be treated, right? Mm. So no better leader than Scott when it comes to exuding these qualities. And, and Dick, I've met a, a, a handful of times, and boy, what a character he is. I mean, I met him uh, four, four, or five, four or five years ago where I sat with him for, for some time at an, an event for a couple hours, and my wife and I just got to know him so well just by just like questioning him and questioning him. And uh, he was as interested in us as we were in, in him. But uh, what an amazing guy to learn from and, and to be mentored by, right, Scott? Yeah, what a, what a, absolutely. What a blessing. What a blessing. Absolutely. He's, our, he's our oldest YPO member now. He's 97 years old. Wow. And, um, you, uh, and you would you not know. know it. He looks he looks so good. He's in such yes. good shape to be through all he's been through, right? And, yeah. and this guy's yeah, he's, amazing. He's just extraordinary. And and my time at Arlington was fantastic because I started out as CFO and I ended up as CEO. And when I joined YPO, it was because Dick and his son Craig um, told me to join YPO. Okay? So, <laughs> so 
I was I was a resource for YPO because I was a gambling expert at the time, and, and mm-hmm. so when YPO events would happen in town, you know, that I would be a guest speaker relative to what's happening in gambling, and we would host events and stuff like that. But I never thought YPO was for me, and 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 uh, because it was kind of like the the rich um, rich guys game, and and uh, people who have planes and big family businesses, and uh, boy, you know, I was just outclassed. I'm just a kid from from Detroit, you know, <laughs> and. and uh, um, and and uh, Dick's son Craig um, called me up uh, one day and said, "Scotty, you got to join YPO. I want you to join YPO." And uh, um, and then Dick and Craig are kind of just telling me that they really wanted me to join YPO, which is mm-hmm. the greatest compliment I could ever have because I know how big of, how big YPO was for them and, and their growth. And I didn't want to do it. I just didn't feel, feel I belonged. So I thought some passive resistance would kind of get me through and just kind of ignore the request, you know. <laughs> and and uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Some months later, it's like. Join YPO or you're fired. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I didn't think they were going to fire me, of course, but that's just they were just making the point. And so, yeah, yeah. so I joined, and um, it's been uh, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. I've, I've moved into other businesses and um, had a 19 year career with the Duchess Swat organization through I think seven or eight businesses for them. And uh, um, and uh, the Arlington experience itself was my formative time because. I was there for 11 years, but it was 33 years of career experience, okay? Because yeah. um, I was working all the time, and it was business, it was politics, it was media, okay? And, and it was just general leadership and learning about myself. And, it, and because the work schedule was almost always, uh, except, for, except for the Christmas holidays, there was almost always a reason to be working six or seven days, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, the game was on the entire time. And so I got a lot of career experience, and lost a little balance with my family, you know, sure. figured, um, you know our, our son was born in 1991 and then we had another one in 93 and then our daughter was born in 97 and I was one of those guys I was always working and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it cost me some relationships um, with with my family and everything else. Um, sure. So there's always a trade-off and um, for me the I had I had 33 years of career experience, you know, but before before I was 40, uh, 45, oh. uh, but, but at the same time um, uh, you know, there's always a, a bit of a price. So, yeah. so we've calibrated to that um, since then. And, and I took a little sabbatical and it took some time to recalibrate my my life um, right. uh, when when our kids were in high school. And we're all in a good place now. But uh, but you know, That's there's true. a it's been it's been a good ride and a lot of learnings about what a cumulative life is as it comes. Yeah, no doubt. And and you know, there was a time there, Scott, where you were responsible to get some 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 politics uh, in front of you and 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 you know some some some. Uh, tax issues and some uh, incentives there's you know casinos coming in play in the Chicagoland area and you had to be in the middle of all that can you talk about that briefly yeah it, it you know it was a contradiction right to, to, to be running a consumer a consumer business and, and and sell people on hope and a great experience and all the other stuff but then being the front page of the paper saying how your business was going out of business because it was out regulated and uh, by by some callous and, and greedy uh, politicians and so we had to play that that, that dichotomy and and so um, uh, so we had spent an incredible amount of time doing doing politics. We had 14 union locals, I believe, at, at the racetrack, wow. and all of them have political connections and in a regulated business like ours is. Yeah. Um, you know, for a period of time, we couldn't even change the price of a muffin without getting the state to change the uh, um, to to approve it. Okay. Wow. So, so the degree of regulation <laughs> was quite extraordinary in, in the early 90s, and. Arguably, if you go back to the history of racing, there's um, and gambling just generally throughout the states. You know, there's been a there's been corruption. There's been all kinds of ways that people have profited because it was always a monopoly business that uh, um, where, the, where where demand always outstrips supply. So mm-hmm. so there's a lot of money to carve up. When when I joined the organization and when 
Dick was rebuilding the, the racetrack in the late 80s, they changed, they, they, they authorized uh, uh, casino-style gambling and riverboats. Uh, the lottery was continuing to grow, and yet the regulation and taxation structure of horse racing was exactly the same as if mm-hmm. it was 1975, uh, or, or actually 1965. And, and as a result, the um, the for a high fixed cost business like horse racing, uh, it, it, it didn't make sense. And I say high fixed cost is more than 300 acres of infrastructure, more than 2,000 stalls, stables that we offer to the horses that we provide for free. Okay, oh, that, that's wow. that's so, so we had um, well over uh, 2,000 people working at the track seasonally and otherwise, you know, every single day of our of our live race meet. And and um, but that was all that was all carry cost. Okay, uh, relative to hoping people bet more than $2 on a race. And, and, and so, and the, and the betting wasn't even against us. Off of the $2 bet, um, the average take was about 30 cents. So, um, so you know, it's a, um, that has to add up quite a bit in order to pay for all those people. And, and it worked in a monopoly way, but, but not so much in a, um, uh, in a non-monopoly way. And mm-hmm. so that was my battle all the way through. And so um, changing governors, we had to close the racetrack. Could you imagine closing a 70-year-old institution? I remember this. The amount of, the amount of heat that came came back to Dick, and um, it came back to Dick. He was the owner, um, even though I was the one kind of working through the operational flow. But he he took the most of the heat. And talk about a guy with fortitude to do what he thinks he needs to do it was just extraordinary. And and um, and we closed it. And I had the challenge of. Um, uh, we wanted to keep a core group of people because we were hopeful that we would get some legislation at some point, but, mm-hmm. but we didn't want to just fire everybody. So we, we tried to go into some broader entertainment businesses and other things to keep keep the facility warm, if you will. And we kept it warm, but it didn't really work very well. And ultimately, uh, we were fortunate, and in, in I think it was 90, 99, uh, um, we, uh, we were able to, after seven years of political jockeying and finagling and Working with coalitions and all the rest, um, you know, they passed some horse racing legislation that allowed us to reopen, and and, and oh, so with that, with that we were able to um, better position uh, Arlington in the national scene, and we also uh, um, started to engage Churchill Downs. We ended up merging uh, Arlington into Churchill Downs, um, really with pro forma earnings um, as, as it went out, and, and um, that's been a great so think about think, think about the, uh, the the strength you have to have right and, and, and backbone to shut down an operation like that for seven years mm-hmm. because you you just know you you can't you can't make money the the way it sits you get this beautiful beautiful venue that's not that old at that point golly it's only you know whatever it was what six seven eight years old at the time yeah we, we were close for two seasons I just want to uh, oh so we, two we, seasons okay yeah, but, but, okay so we were close for two seasons there you go so two but two seasons like still two years time, though, yeah. to shut down an operation like that is it's unbelievable I mean any, you're you're with no guarantee that it's going to reopen no mm-hmm. guarantee that you're going to get the legislation that you need to be successful right and and so that through that through that time Scott you were you're focused on on uh, really the the, uh, the regulation of the time and how are you going to get it changed and and all that dealing with dealing with the the the, pat, the governor in place the new governor coming in tell us about a little bit about that yeah well you know very active in in, in politics so you know a lot of a lot of the things you hear about Illinois politics uh, are probably true uh, and as well as uh, um, yeah there's a lot of really good people working in government too and and, and I think uh, they don't get um, they don't get the attention and um, uh, uh, appreciation that they deserve. There's mm-hmm. some really quality people who are working for service to the state as opposed to, um, you know, just political uh, jockeying and positioning. And so I got to see both sides. Yeah. You know? I, and and um, uh, it, it, it was really just a, a fascinating and extraordinarily frustrating experience. Um, but, uh, um, but, you know, I, 
I got to lobby Barack Obama when he was a state senator and, you know, just and, and, and um, some of these other folks that we were interacting with from, from a political standpoint, some some icons throughout Illinois and and, and beyond. And, um, you know, just um, really helped me understand that um, it's all about people. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. So everything's all about people. You know, uh, your, your organization is about people, um, you know, because I'm going to do a little rabbit hole here is what's an organization? You know, it, it's purpose. OK. It's people, it's processes that help the people work together, and then it's some capital because you need some assets in order to do it. Mm-hmm. It's, that's all an organization is, okay? And 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 so um, and the people are the thread that, thread for all of that. So so how you structure, how you engage, who you engage with, um, the, do you have the right people? Are you working with the right people? Is ultimately about how just about anything worthwhile gets done, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'll I'll leave the independent researcher and songwriter off to the side. I'm talking about organizations, okay? And, and so um, uh, nothing proved that to me more than being in horse racing and getting to meet all kinds of industrialists and other folks around the world because of what we were doing, but then also in Illinois, seeing um, a lot of really good people still falling short and, and yet continuing to be persistent, resilient, and ultimately um, uh, you have to have a coalition within your organization to do things or within within the greater political scene in, in order to do things. So so the goal is to get to the tipping point to where something can happen and, and not to be right and be in the minority if, if you're really trying to get something done. Sure. And, and so um, uh, I learned a lot about all of that. And, and it was a con- lot of constant analysis because the amount of failure was um, we failed every single legislative cycle for seven years. OK, so um, that's the that's the spring and the fall session that we have here in Illinois. And every time you're mopping up and you got your lobbyists telling you, oh, you're really close. You know, come back next year. We'll, we'll, we'll get you in. So they kind of keep you going. But at the same time, uh, it's like, I'm right. I know we're right. I, I don't know why people won't just do the right thing. And and then you have to go back and be humble and say, OK, I got to I got to reload. And, and so uh, there's a lot of failure that create, uh, created a lot of resilience and, and understanding. So it's, it's been, been some great lessons, yeah. which I continue to carry. There had to be there had to be um, a group of people you had a lot of, a lot of trust in that trusted you that you, you you could see were were just ethical, honest, hardworking people in, in in politics and government like as kind of like you said, and then you had to have some that you just gosh you just had the feeling that you couldn't trust them and 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 and, 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 and did you work around those people? How did you do that? How did you, how did you, how did you bounce from those that you knew were there for good reason that were listening and and then those that weren't there for any reason except selfish reasons? Yeah, um, well I. I we decided, and I decided that I was going to be ethical and straight up, no matter what. Okay, that, that I, I didn't want any record of my engagement to be doing wrong things. So, mm-hmm. um, you can't always work around those people because sometimes they're in the power infrastructure and everything else. But you can work with them. Okay, so, so over those series of interactions, I I gained a reputation for being, um, I think, smart, but he was always well thought out, and he wasn't going to say one thing over here and say one thing over there. I was very steady about, mm-hmm. about my message and who I was and what I was willing to do and not do. And and in politics and, and, and even most other things, it's more important to be consistent, okay? And so that people can understand how to, they build their agendas off of you as much as it is for you to figure out how to build your agenda off of them. So I became a very consistent player in the things that we were doing and and, and Dick helped, helped coach me to, to, to do that. And and that um, I you know I, I never I never felt that I compromised myself uh, to do anything uh, relative to the process, and and um, you know 
some things. I was in some processes that didn't smell real good, probably in hindsight and the other things, but I wasn't, I wasn't doing those, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. And I always made sure that I could go to sleep at night because, you know, none of it's worth it. So I think, um, I think we spend too much time worrying about the other people in terms of who, who are, uh, maybe maybe someone will say shady or they're not like me. They don't share my values, Mm -hmm. whatever silly words you want to use. But the fact is, it's really about you and your values. That's going to dictate how how you participate within that. And, And so, um, right. So I never, never work around them. Always work straight to them. I like it. Now t- so tell me, you got you got through all that stuff, and and how long did you were you the leader at at uh, the the racetrack? And and what what was it? What was something that uh, you guys delivered that you felt uh, you, you, your team brought to play that you delivered day in and day out that that made you then successful at the racetrack? <clears throat> There, there, were, there was success on, on, on different levels. You know, the, the, the racing business has been tough, <clears throat> especially from, a, from an on-track dynamic and, and just because of the competition, of the change in society. Uh, not as many people go to the races every single day as, 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 as used to go back, uh, back when the track was envisioned um, and, and everything else. So, so successes are, 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 are varying levels. Political, political success was, was being, having the fortitude to continue through and, and achieve the legislation that allowed us to reopen, allowed Arlington still open today, allowed us to, uh, to continue to employ people, and, and, and allowed us to continue the mission, which was to uh, uh, bring, bring people to racing in a different way because mm-hmm. racing had a certain reputation. So our, our mission was nothing short of remaking the, the vision of racing, okay? And, and so, um, so I, I feel we did that by bringing it back and if you went there today, okay, and you walk in, you will never realize that that building is 30 years old. The commitment to, um, uh, to quality, yeah. the commitment to experience is really, really something I'm proud of. And, and I'm, I was a steward of, of, of that energy for, for a period of time. And, and I think I amplified it a bit. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they've continued to try to work that through. So, so there were some real wins on, on the people side and the development um, and in the sense that uh, it became a business as opposed to a bunch of people just doing what they do. And, and I was uh, I was involved uh, at, you know, leading leading a lot of that through. Yeah. And uh, I, I take a lot of pride in, pride in that from, from the Arlington standpoint. It's impeccable. You know, when you go, you go in that place now, have you ever been there, Q? I have not. Okay, we got to schedule a True Mentors event there. You'll, I'm all down for I'm that. Done. You'll love it. Okay. I mean, I go usually a few times a year, um, usually family-wise or Cheryl and I, and then usually – one of the groups or found, you know foundations that we're part of, and YPO. There's always a, an event uh, here or there at, at Arlington. It's just a beautiful, beautiful venue. It's always right. impeccable, like it was built, like you said, like it was built yesterday or something, right? Yeah, it's a cool place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so when 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 was it that you transitioned out of the Duchess Watt companies? And and uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so after Arlington, I went uh, uh, was kind of had enough horse racing. I'd been in horse racing for over ten years. And then, as I mentioned before, they had a number of other businesses. So I went back to corporate office and, and led, led uh, some of their smaller businesses as well as uh, got involved in the garage door opener business um, and, and home, home access business called Chamberlain, the Chamberlain Group. Their biggest brands are LiftMaster and Chamberlain. Uh, you may be familiar with them. Yeah. And so they, they sell through both retail and dealer networks and um, uh, um, just really, really good company with good market share, good values. And, and um, you know, I... I oversaw the international business and also served as, as its CFO. So, um, so had, had some great, great exposure and experiences, but come, come to around 2009, I'd been with the Duchess was for about uh, 19 years. And as I mentioned, I, I just needed to recalibrate. I'd been working too much, quite frankly. And so I, I took a year and a half off. My, my two oldest boys, uh, were in, um, in high school, junior and senior. And, um, and then, then our daughter was in, in grade school and just took some time off to, 
kind of do whatever I wanted to do. And it was a blast. I, I recalibrated my life, um, recalibrated my leadership style, crafted my, uh, my personal business principles, crafted my living model, um, read all the stuff I said I was never going to read or I wanted to read but never got to, and uh, just really kind of recalibrated myself. And so that was uh, the break that ended up uh, bringing me to YPO because I never would have done YPO without that break. Uh-huh. And and uh, never would have gone for a not for profit without that break, and quite frankly, never would have had the the confidence to do it without the support of my forum, uh, as well as uh, as well as my own sense of mission, as opposed to um, uh, you know some other trade offs of, of what kind of roles you take. So that was a very critical time uh, for me to uh, to just figure out what's what's important to me and 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 how can I make what's important to me more effective in, in what I do so your your high school and grade school daughter and your high school boys got to know dad a little better that time in that time huh yeah how, yeah how, you how know, cool they were playing that? sports and we were we were at, at all the games and did all the stuff and um, just really happy to do it so and what, so, what's and what sports were they involved in, involved in that you got involved in or you watched? primarily yeah. volleyball um, all right. Uh, yeah, so so they were um, they were on a very competitive uh, volleyball team, and uh, you know they they, they, they they played involved. And as a parent, by the way, yeah. being a volleyball parent is the best thing possible. Okay, <laughs> there's no rainouts. Every game uh-huh. it's 72 degrees in there. There's food <laughs> easy. Uh, none of the matches really last more than an hour. You know, it's like it's like the perfect uh, that's perfect true. Parental, yeah, rental game. And then our daughter played volleyball as well, and she played um, uh, competitively. And won, uh, I think, three state titles uh, in high school. Oh, cool she just finished her college career. She played down at Tulane, and, and so she was she was captain of the Tulane team for two years. So we've had a, that, we've huh? been watching volleyball matches for a long, long time. So yeah. um, so we're just now shifting out of that actually. But uh, uh, but but it was fun to participate as a as just a regular parent and not as CEO or anything else. And and actually being unemployed was was liberating. I got to do more politics locally. And uh-huh. got involved in different networks, and um, really learned what networking is, and what it's not, and um, really enjoyed the hell out of it. So, That's so neat. it was a great year and a half. And I'd have kept doing it if uh, if I didn't need to actually work. So, <laughs> so, uh, so it was good. So, tell us how the the uh, YPO thing came about. How did how did uh, you know there's a there's an available opportunity there? And and tell us about you know who who kind of. Uh, um, you know, talk to, talk to you about that or, you know, got you thinking about it or seriously thinking about it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I was working with some PE firms. I wanted to scale service. Arlington had taught me that, um, uh, scaling service is far more difficult than probably making things is, um, uh, at least I, I'd come full circle from my Detroit days. And, and, and I, and I think, um, I'm fascinated about humans, you know, how, how do humans work together? How do you scale um, scale or, or, or replicate uh, um, really good service, high quality service and human contact in a way that's reliable for somebody experiencing it. And, and I've just been fascinated about that. So I was looking for a, a service organization that had a technology backbone in some way, shape or form uh, and uh, was, was working with some PE firms and looking at some opportunities, nothing too, too warm. And then the YPO opportunity um, or YPO was looking for a CEO was an opportunity at that stage. And uh, a couple of YPO friends of mine said, you'd be perfect for this. It's like, are you kidding me? I, I can't imagine, you know, just like going to the board meeting, right? It's like seven Bentleys, you know, two Ferraris, a Lamborghini, and, um, you know, just uh, seven trophy spouses and <laughs> a, bunch, a bunch of people saying, hey, do this. You know? It's like, that sounded like hell to me. And, 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 um, and they said, no, 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 no. That's not it at all. Okay. And I, and I was a little skeptical. 
And I had been chapter chair of Chicago and had a really great experience with with my local chapter and everything else. But I couldn't imagine YPO on a global scale. What what those people must be like, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, I did a couple interviews, and every single conversation I had got more and more interesting. The the people became more humble. The people became very focused on servant yeah. leadership. And they, they really just wanted to make the world a better place. And you could see it in, in, in the way that they interacted. So so I had two 14-on-one um, interviews with people wow. from around the world and um, just quizzing me and doing all kinds of different things. And, and I just found it so stimulating. So my lesson really even in the process is, you know, you think you know and you can, you can paint – it's not even judging a book by a cover. It's it's really judging a book by what you think the book is about before you've even looked at the cover. Uh -huh. And 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 um, uh, I I just became the more and more interested in trying to do it and wanting to do it. Strangely enough, in the process, I don't know where the switch went, uh, but but it uh, but it, it really came full circle because now they had made me an offer and we were negotiating to uh, to come aboard. And um, uh, a couple points, it's like, wow this is kind of all there is. <laughs> it's like uh, in, in my other businesses, I always had some kind of big bonus opportunity or, or you know, you figure there's some kind of equity play that's, that's down the road. It's like, this is a membership association. There's no equity. Okay. There's no anything. And, and, and I had wanted to come in at a, at a, at a, at a, at a lower, lower compensation than, than the previous CEO because I was a member and he wasn't. And, and I just wanted to at least start out and, and be in more, didn't want the optics to be where people thought I came here because it was, it was a job and I didn't right. have one. Right. And because and, I'm still making less than I made before, before I took the role. Okay. But, but none of that even matters because this is, um, this is my philanthropy. It's my hobby and oh, it's my awesome. profession and it all rolls together. And, and I, I really feel a sense of mission and working alongside really good people. But as we were going through the discussions, like, wow, I've often said I really don't care that much about money and I should do what I want to do. And it's like, this is glaring at me, okay? And that's where my form kind of kicked me in the pants and said, dude, <laughs> get your head out of your butt. This is this is exactly what you said you wanted to do and it's everything you wanted to have. And, you know, we don't care if you don't have a, have an exit and um, can run around and saying you did your exit at 5X and someone else did theirs at, at 4X. I mean, we don't, yeah. we don't care about that and you shouldn't care about it either because, you know, that's not even a headline that really – anybody really cares about. So go do what you want to do. And so they, they really helped me get over the hump. And, so, and, um, and it's been great. Ever okay, since. So, so think about this role he's going and do and he, and he went into and he's, 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 he's done an amazing job in Q. But you think about 28,000. Is that 28,000 members now? 28, 28 now. Yeah. 28,000 CEOs across the globe. Okay, mm -hmm. over over saying I don't know how many how many million people how many million teammates right, and mm -hmm. and uh, with what three or four trillion dollars of total revenues, Scott? Three. Um, fifteen. Wait, wait, fifteen trillion. Fifteen trillion dollars wow. of revenues. Okay. Wow. So Q, you want impact? You know, Q's got some amazing goals here, buddy, and, and uh, you'd have to hear him. But he's got. He wants to. Uh, want, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting my numbers wrong. I was mixing employees. It's nine trillion in revenue, and. Okay. and uh, yeah, it's nine trillion in revenue. So Scotty uh, Q wants to affect a, a, a billion people in his lifetime in a positive way, right? And so you know he, he's 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 convinced he's going to do this, and I believe he's he's going as well through mentorship and leadership and all the things we talk we talk about. But uh, I I think Scott might be right there. He, <laughs> the he, person I need to have in my back pocket. Think, think, think about the the millions and possibly a billion people are affected by the products his, his CEO serve, right? Yeah. 
um, the, the the families, the products, the the the, the uh, uh, you know the, the 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 cash flow, the the businesses they do business with, right? Yeah, crazy crazy numbers, and and again. Scott's leadership is is noted by every, you know anybody that's involved in, in YPO know how he leads and know why we're doing what we do and and this event I was just at with people from all over uh, South, uh, South American countries um, when I when I when I talk I, I spent a couple of days with these people and didn't know any of them Scott but almost mm-hmm. every one of them is I mean I shouldn't say it, every one of them I met was there to learn and absorb more and, and learn more right and every one of them at din- at the dinner table and, and lunch and stuff when we're talking cash they're talking about the things they they're, they're doing outside their business for community and things they believe in and how passionate they are about their different causes, right? So uh, the the cool thing about YPO and and I I had the same assumption Scott did that you go on these are a bunch of kind of arrogant uh, leaders that don't you know just care about themselves. Well, I tell you, and, and, and there's lots of CEOs in the world beyond this, but the ones in YPO dominantly. Are, are there because they're always learning, no matter how old they are, how rich they are, right? They're there to constantly be learning and, and being pushed to learn, as well as how are they going to serve the community? What's their legacy going to look like? You know, these are the questions that most of these, almost all of these members that I see have, Scott. So it's really, really cool. Yeah, yeah and I, I would echo that. And I'd just suggest, I mean, for, for the listeners, if anybody's still paying attention to us, um, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really, that, that, that's a big part of the, 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 the take home here, right? So, so I, I'm blessed because I get to, I get to interact with my, my membership uh, is, is people who have already had um, a significant amount of success at an early age, okay? They, mm-hmm. they, they became leaders at, at an earlier age than average, and are running um, complex, complex businesses, okay? Um, it's, we're not, you know, there's a lot of complexity in a million dollar revenue business, but you know that that's well below our threshold. So we're dealing with people who are who are, who are running significant businesses, and so the the common attributes among them is, is really what's what's fascinating. And, and Gary's hitting right on it. Okay, it's like you have to be continuously curious. Okay, and arrogant people are not curious. Okay, mm-hmm. arrogant people are always looking to validate what they already think they know, so that they can prove that they know it. Okay, <laughs> uh, so but but that's curious true. That's people, true. curious people are are. are they're self-critical, okay, and they're thinking about what they're already doing, and can they learn something that might actually help them do what they're already doing in a different way? And so, instead of you know, arrogant people criticize others. Um, uh, self-critical people all are, are, are reflective on, on what they can do differently, and I think that's a common thread uh, across um, mm-hmm. the, the, the vast majority of our membership. And that's what's so fun, okay? Because when Gary and I can sit down, or, or any members can sit down, we start talking about an issue, or, or having the luxury to inter- interact with somebody from outside of YPO who's, who's an expert in their field, and we start to quiz them and think about things, we're not trying to show them that they're wrong. We're trying to learn what we can learn about how, how do we get better at what we do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a singular attribute that people say they're curious, but they don't read. People say they're curious, but they don't interact with people. People say they're curious and they don't really seek new adventures and new experiences, or they say they're curious and they just work all the time. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can't be curious unless you're carving up different experiences um, personally and, and professionally. And that's what YPO does really, really well. And, and I, would, I would suggest if, you don't, if nobody takes anything else out of our conversation um, to, to, to know that if we're going to be better tomorrow, I, I've really got to start exposing myself to different thoughts, different ways, and do it in the most humble way I can. Yeah. That's really good. So, um, so when you took over um, as the CEO of YPO, <laughs> that actually sounds pretty good. Um, <laughs> how how many members? And I, I'm, I'm gonna get to my point. But how many members were there at the time? Because if it's twenty eight thousand now, how many were there when you 
first uh, took over as YPO CEO? Uh, it's early in the morning. I'm not as good with my numbers right now, but, but <laughs> I, I think we're somewhere in and around uh, 18,000. Okay, so from 18,000, now you have 28,000. That's amazing, literally. And, you know, at, at minimum 2,000 new members and obviously attrition, whatever, but minimum of 2,000 every single year. And I feel that with you saying that you all have, uh, it's a service and you scaled a service and that's what was interesting to you. I know a lot of people had that have service type of businesses and are looking to figure out how to scale it. And right. my question to you is how did like, what exactly are some things that you've implemented in order to scale a service? I think that's extremely critical for anybody who has a business and trying to grow it. A service to some of the most picky customers you're ever going to Picky have. customers. You right. got a niche product. Like how did you, I mean, 2000 members a year at a minimum, like on average is amazing. Like, yeah. seriously. So how did you uh, do that? Thank you, thank, Quentin. I'll get to the question, but I just want to share. It's like, it's not our goal to be the, the world's largest CEO organization or the most domineering organization. We, we don't have any global domination mm -hmm. dreams, okay? It, unlike, a, unlike a for-profit business when you're always about share. We just want a community of the the most interesting people uh, on the planet and, and, and have them, um, you know, have them be as global as we can so that we can help everybody learn. So, so the the, the growth is uh, is good because people like growing more than shrinking. Okay, uh, but at the same time, we're not chasing we're not chasing growth. We're really seeking the most quality people. Okay, um, so when you think about uh, you know scaling as you're suggesting, I think there's just a handful there, there, there's a handful of things that people just align on. Okay, and so first of all, um, uh, whatever you do, you just do it on purpose. Okay, people need to know why they're doing something. Okay, because ultimately people control their own behavior. Okay, and if they don't understand the why, they'll do it because I told them to for a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, to scale it and replicate it, they're going to do it because they want to do it. Okay, so so your decisions and the actions you take have to be very intentional, and you have to communicate that intentionality because the people have to decide to follow you. Um, you don't get to command them. And it's some some entrepreneurs own the companies, and so therefore, since they control the compensation and, and they hire and fire, everybody laughs at their jokes. But that's not necessarily doesn't mean commitment. Commitment is people have decided that they're going to commit to do uh, a vision. So so that intentionality is is particularly important. And two, um, the purpose of that intentionality that people need a sense of purpose. Yes, I, I've got a mortgage, but but uh, um, what? What's the purpose of our company? Are, are we, you know, what, what's our what's our bigger vision? I, I want to be ultimately be part of something that's bigger than me. Okay, most people do. It creates stability. It creates community, and it's very human. Societies and tribes have always formed, and you create a tribe out of your company, and you have to have a purpose for your tribe. So, in that sense, what's the important cause? Okay, that that that, that the organization has put together, mm. and then you have to have an, uh, an environment of all these people uh, that enables them to feel empowered to where they can do their best work, okay? So so that's the processes, that's the empowerment, that's the, I'm not gonna get squashed. Um, it changes a little bit with each generation, but you need to create a positive environment where people feel that they, they can do their best work there, that, that, that there's some upside for them. Daniel Pink talks about mastery and empowerment and all those other things, and, and all those would fit under that category, but create an environment where people can do their best, not do what you're telling them to do, but where they can be their best. That's, that's a big good. difference. That's really and, good. Yeah. And then, um, folk, you just got, you got to be relentless. Okay. <laughs> just got to be relentless, uh, and, 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 and celebrate persistence and resilience and relentlessness and focus on achievement, not effort. Okay. Mm -hmm. That working hard is great, mm -hmm. uh, but, but actually what really matters is, 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 is achieving something. Okay. So, so celebrate the achievements, not, not the effort. And, 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 and so, 
that relentless. And that one right, and that one right there, Scott, really plays well with millennials, in my opinion, because it, mm -hmm. it, you know we, my my kids taught me, and Q is teaching me, and all the millennials around me are teaching me that exactly that, right? Look look at the right. results, and 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 have some fun metrics to to lead by. But uh, don't don't look at the time and the hours and what time they're ch checking in, you know, clocking in and clocking out. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then the fifth one is really simple. It's like, as the leader, um, you matter. Okay. And 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 your actions need to show that you're 100 percent interested in helping your team members succeed. It has to be about you helping them, not them helping you. And you need to demonstrate that through servant leadership and and, and caring about them and recognizing that that their goal in life isn't their career their goal in life is their families and their self uh, their, their, their self-realization and you you just need to be um, you need to be about helping them not the other way around and so those are the five it's just really that simple the intentionality to, to, to do things with with purpose on purpose the um, uh, organize around some kind of cause or, or, or sense of purpose for, for the organization an opportunity to do your best work all right Focus on the achievement uh, and, and just be relentless about that. And then as, as, as your leader, um, uh, help, help team members succeed. That's what you need to be known for. And, and if you can do those five things, I think you can scale just about anything. And, and uh, um, I live through volunteers. You know, my staff is just under 400. But the, the people who volunteer to create the YPO organization, there's 10,000 CEOs donating their time. Okay. And so they're they're working for themselves. They're not working for me, <laughs> that's for sure. And 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 um, they're they're working to to give back and, and do something good, really along those those five different categories in different ways. And so um, that's how you scale it. Because when you start to take any of those five away, uh, people stop being committed. And once they stop being committed, you can't scale anything from a human element. Mm. So so the 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 vision that Scott has to be in in touch with and in, in building and 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 he has out there every day something that. The CEOs have to buy into, right? And and I'm and I uh, I see this every you know all the time. I'm I'm in the construction industry roundtable uh, round network and and uh, some others, and and you know as as we're involved, we're we're dedicating our time. And and some of these people like, gosh, I, I, some of my friends are dedicating 20, 30 hours a week. Now think about CEOs and 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 uh, dedicating that type of time to a, a nonprofit. Um, so so if they don't have a, we don't have a leader inspiring that and and, and creating a vision to follow. We're probably not going to participate, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a blast. I mean, I, I might spend a few hours a week on YPO stuff with the stuff I'm involved in, and I have a blast doing it. If I didn't, I wouldn't do it, right? And, and if I ever, you know, a lot, a lot of these uh, members have have maybe downsized or taken up. They, they've they've uh, maybe partnered with private equities and have become a, a board member or chairman of their companies, and they're not involved the day to day like I am. But some of these some of these people are, are spending 40, 30, 40 hours a week. You know, serving YPO in, in these big net, these global networks, and so if if we don't if we don't have somebody that, that we can we can look to as Scott, boy, we're probably not going to participate as much, right? We're not probably not going to get engaged and waste our time. We'd call it wasting our time then, right? Instead of investing our time, creating a great difference, right? So, so that that's that's pretty cool, Scott. So again, it, it, in our businesses, if we can do that that same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Inspire people, create a vision that that people want to follow, not are told to follow, right? We're going to be pretty successful. Um, and so I'm sure you had to do that with, with Duchess Wah companies and you saw Dick doing that and you mm -hmm. became the person, you know, doing that as well, Scott. And, and it was, it was probably a no brainer for you, but that's not a no brainer for everybody. Most people yeah. in a position of leadership, look at themselves at the, at the top of the pyramid, not the bottom, right? Not, right. not, not an inverted pyramid, but a, but, but a regular pyramid there at the top of, right? And you, right. you explained it already. You're serving everybody on your team. And if you're not there to do that or they don't feel you're there to do that, 
you know, they're probably not going to be quite as quite as excited, right, to work work with yeah. you and your team. Thank you, Gary. I really appreciate that. And I just want to sh share that there's, there's another big takeaway that everything you cited there, um, uh, which is, is very nice to, to say it that way, um, is is all how I've changed because of my experience. Okay, not mm -hmm. because I, I I had a finance book that told me how to do this, or not because an organization <laughs> behavior book said, said to do that. And and the other big takeaway in, in and around all this is um, the interaction of people and experiences end up creating your learning and your opportunity, okay? Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, there's this, there's this uh, um, uh, adage, you know, I don't know who has kids, but if you have your kids and while they're growing up, you, you wanna see who they're hanging around with, right? Mm -hmm. Who their friends are, because that tells you how they're doing, okay? Uh -huh. and, and, so, and so I would say that from a career standpoint, the exact same thing is true, okay? That if, if who you're hanging around with and who you're working with aren't the kind of people you can learn from, aren't the kind of people that are curious, aren't the kind of people that are motivated. Um, you know what, um, there's not a lot left to rub off on you, okay? Yeah. And there's not a lot of opportunity that they're gonna create for you or you for them, necessarily. So so I think it's really important, um, uh, we talk about networking, but even in YPO, 28,000 people, so we talk about that network, but it's 28,000 networks Okay, mm -hmm. so every single CEO knows a bunch of people and they know a lot of people that have formed their lives who aren't in YPO. And so the the um, the nodes of connection in life end up being on who you connect with. So I just suggest that, you know, um, uh, the industries you work in, the work, people you work with end up being really important. But if you're if you can be curious, like we were talking before about that success attribute and you can put yourself in rooms, in situations and, and, and opportunities with really interesting people, I guarantee you, your, your career, your opportunity will unfold. And when you hit a bump, you'll actually, it'll be, it'll be a smaller bump because you have people to help you through it. And that's essentially what YPO is. But at right. the same time, uh, for all of us, whether you're in YPO or not, be very, very conscious of, of, of your life experience based on who you're doing it with, and, and because because that's really the key. So it's they, they say it's not about who you it's not about what you know it's it's about who you know. I don't think that's true. I, I, I think it's I think your learning comes from what you know and, and 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 the people that you do it with. But that common experience ends up being really powerful, and and that's that's where my career path has gone. I never would have grown up and in um, the east side of Detroit um, and, and ended up uh, with any visions of being the, the um, CEO of YPO. I mean, th there's no straight line that takes me there <laughs> with, a, with a stop at a horse race track, okay? And there's, there's, no, there's no straight line that would take Gary through mm. all the businesses that he's been in. It's, it's because he's become opportune and he's very active even outside of his industry, meeting people and doing things. And I think that's the model for what it takes to have a really good full life. Uh, but also, it's the same model that helps you be a really great leader and hopefully run a great business. So they're, 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 they're universal kind of tactics. And um, how, about, how about the confidence, Scott, that you get, you've gained over your, over your life and, and just uh, you know, being able to be in the room with, with leadership and, and, then, and then just being able to walk in the room of a, of a leader that many people would be maybe intimidated to walk in the room of, right? I mean, you, the, 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 you, know, you, you don't name drop and talk about all these people that you're, that, that you're so well known with. But man, everybody, a lot, so many people know you that, that are at high levels in the world. And and yet you know uh, it, it, it's some people are intimidated you know by 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 walking into the room with, with a leader of government and a pre president of a country and all the other things, uh, you know how do how do you earn that the, uh, the the grit to never never have that never have any intimidation always be able to be open and honest and and all that how did you, how did you do that because that's something you have to do every day it's pretty cool. 
Thank, thank, thank you. I, I think some of it's just innate, <clears throat> you know, about how you how any one of us engages other people. Okay, uh, but but in, and it's also got an element of, of public speaking. Some people hate public speaking, but the more they do it, the better they are at it. So mm-hmm. so there is a comfort level that that builds up over time. But ultimately, it's a realization that I've also got in YPO uh, when I said, boy, you know, I didn't think I belonged in YPO and everything else. But everybody, everybody's got stuff. OK, mm-hmm. and, and, and everybody's got struggles in their lives and, and they may not be a parent or whatever else. And I guarantee you that any president of a, of a country or any any, you know, the U.N. secretary general and all these big, powerful business icons, they've got stuff. Some things are working well, some aren't. And and, and it's comforting to know that not that my life is better than theirs or my life is worse than theirs, but mm-hmm. they're humans. OK, and you know what? You ask a good question, a human will want to respond to it. And and if you if you engage people is 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 equal you'd be amazed at how they'll respond as equals you know if you yeah. if you if you engage as the as the you know the, the wallflower in the corner they're going to treat you like the wallflower in the corner so i think you just just need to say hey gary's a person too i'm gonna go up and say hi to gary i don't know him say hey, my name's scott mordell you know I just, i've always wanted to meet you uh i've got a question for you and 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 and, and you know what gary's most likely to say cool i'll answer the question and that, then now we have a conversation going on and right. it's only because He's a human, and I'm a human, and I'm willing to willing to treat it as such. Well, and that, and exactly that type of engagement just gets you so far in life. I mean, I I I've uh, I, I I love people, never have a problem meeting anybody, and and um and I and I end up falling into just just great examples of interaction with people that I never would imagine I've ever meet, right? And uh, I mean, so Austin and I were asked to speak at that that conference in Miami. And how fun was it for us and I to speak about, you know, the, the generational leadership, uh, technology and millennials, uh, technology minds and millennials merging with old school engineering in our businesses. And it was a blast. And, we, you know, I, I meet all these people. I'm talking to one guy that, that was a second runner up for president in, in Panama, who was a really cool entrepreneur there. I've got uh, you got these some leaders of countries that are that are in this audience, as well as just, you know, really, really neat business uh, entrepreneurs and stuff. But it was so fun, right? And then yeah. uh, after you get to know these people, and they're actually learning from my hillbilly uh, ditch digger experience, <laughs> right? Because I so that I didn't know this, but the the uh, the, the guy that the, 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 who chaired this event, a friend of mine that chaired this event, um, he uh, he he did the, the ditch digger our our, our jingle, <laughs> and the en- intro to ditch digger. As the intro to Austin and I going up and speaking oh, at this that is event, amazing. <laughs> so Clarence McCa- uh, Clarence McCasker uh, is a uh, friend of mine out of Arizona who comes from Panama, and uh, he's he uh, really neat guy. But it's funny because he, he he played that to begin with, and it was, afterwards it's it's fun because all these these leaders of businesses and some of country and all that. Had had great lots of questions after and asked about my, our experience and how we did this or that. So it's kind of fun, right, for for uh, to interact with these people on a on a person to person basis. And uh, you know that that's that's what you get out of just digging in and, and saying and volunteering for stuff, right? But uh, fun stuff. But YPO as well as other organizations like YPO, leadership organizations, if they're there, they're they're probably there to learn. And and boy, how fun is it to be part of the uh, somebody else's learning as well as your own. So. Absolutely. Um, so, Absolutely. so, so, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I look at your life, Scott, and I, I, I'm just amazed at uh, the the path you've you've gone on and where you're at today. Um, you know, wh- where do you see yourself uh, going in the next 10, 15 years? And and uh, you know, I, I, I also think about Vicky. What an amazing, amazing wife. An unfair advantage, I call that. Right when you have a great, great spouse that's there to support you and work so hard with you, right, to, to create, to create this, these opportunities for your kids, your family, yourself. Um, 
let's, let's finish up with a little of that, if we could. Well, well, thank you. First of all, my better half is actually my better 78%, okay? So um, she's, uh, we've been together, uh, she was 16 and I was 17 uh, when we met, okay? Wow. And, and uh, we've been together ever since. And, and so um, uh, I've talked about supportive people and, 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 and really, you know. Uh, well, I get, I, get, I get interrupt her one time because 16, yeah. 17 and all that. She, she's a year younger than you, right? Well, she's younger than me. Let's so she, sure. so, so most people do think that she's his trophy wife, in, in my opinion. But if they look at the two of them, because she looks like she's more than a year younger than Scott, she looks like she's yeah, probably ten years younger. And Scott doesn't look old, but she looks better. I gotta say. So sorry, I had to interrupt that. Just to, to say, Thank you, know. you, and I'm sure she'll appreciate this part of the podcast. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, so you know, we've been together. We, we've just been we've been a, a really great partnership. And so uh, a lot of what I've been able to do, it's it's been because um, uh, really. She's been she's been kind of the 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 half or the eighty percent of my life that really matters and and, and uh, we we've we've ebbed and flowed with all of these different adventures and, and had our own uh, personal adventures as it goes and and so I've been very fortunate that way and um, and I, I don't think I don't view my my career as my own um, and, and it, it's really our career and and any successes are are, are ours and. Um, and uh, we're we're very fortunate because you know we've got a family we love we love to hang out together we we travel together we're we're, we're just blessed and and um, you know she she's just uh, really a thread. I tend to think before I feel. Okay, she tends to feel before she thinks. And so you know, when you think about being complimentary and and most most things in life happen because of the way they feel to you. Um, she she's really been been wonderful. So I'm I'm fortunate for that. And so looking out looking out the years, that's like. For me, it's it's really simple. Uh, um, uh, is I always want to have a challenge in my life because if I don't have a challenge, I feel like I'm I'm regressing or I'm I'm, I'm dying. Okay, so mm -hmm. I got to create challenges uh, for myself, um, and I I want to work with great people. Okay, I want to work and interact with 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 what I I, I think think are, are are great people. Okay, and and um, just um, I just want to keep growing and having new experiences that way. So so I'll be at YPO for for a while and until it stops stops feeling that need or I stop feeling that need for them. Uh, but, but, you know, it won't, um, won't change my life either which way, because we'll, we'll just change kind of the, kind of the frame of, of, of which we play. But, uh, but I want to be very active and, and, um, uh, just want to continue experiencing all life has, because, um, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be alive, quite frankly. Uh, um, uh, the technological change, the, the fact that nobody is really restricted by other players right now, um, that the, the volatility of what, technology can do for good and what technology empowered in an individual can do for bad. I mean, this is the entire, yeah. entire human condition all playing right out in front of us. Absolutely. And, and uh, um, I don't know, I don't know how things happen and if I'm on the wrong end of some things, but I just, I'm just glad I'm alive to experience it and, and, and really, really blessed with every day. Awesome. And uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I, I, I see you, I see you, I'm going to see your future for you. Okay. And in, in, in Illinois, you know, we have, we have an issue with some with, with this state and where we're at financially. And this isn't about politics. This is about survival of our, our businesses and, and jobs in Illinois, in my opinion, right? But boy, dude, you you are you. you I I think Scott would make a great governor in uh, in 2000. Uh, what, what's it going to be? Uh, 22, I guess. Is that what it is? Is that what the, that's uh, no? no what am I saying no? Yeah. Maybe just took office, yeah, right? So okay, so it'd be yeah, two, 2022, right? Is, is the next yeah okay so yeah, yeah. so so there we go all right I, I believe that Scott's a guy that we could we could promote Q to uh, you know be, create the vision to turn the state around after JB gets done working on it and, and trying his best I think uh, you know Scott might be the my, my per perfect position for that uh, 
What do you think, Scott? You're kind. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> not not a politician, right? But but a guy that understands politics, a leader that understands leadership. Boy, I tell you what, I I we, we, I think we we were saying it first here. Q, okay, just so you know, it was, it was said first here. Scott Mornell, governor. Oh man, 2022. What? You're very kind. This is this has been a real treat. I really enjoyed the opportunity to do this with uh, with you, and uh, um, just you know, enjoyed the other episodes so much, and uh, just can continue to follow. And I love the whole spirit of what you what you bring into all this, Gary. So thank you uh, for 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 doing this, Scott. Thank you. I tell you what, uh, you, you uh, you're going to be a, a joy to to be friends with for the rest of my life, and uh, and to watch your track. It's going to get more and more amazing, in my opinion, no matter what which way you go, because you're you're. You're always going to challenge yourself to be the best you can be, and you're going to affect other people's lives so positively by thinking that way. I got. I want to add one more thing. Well, one thing is I, I think about these mentors like Dick, and I, I think it's Ray, and uh, and uh, who was the other? One? Um, oh gosh, who was, it? Who was the, the the guy at uh, uh, the, the third? There's a third one in there. Um, Martin was it? Um, anyway, who was the other? Who was the other guy that was in your life? Martin, I think it was, or. Um, um, uh, there was Ray and Dick, and we did talk about his son Craig uh, in, okay, in different Craig. ways as so, uh, um, as being mentors. But I've I've been blessed. I've had somebody who's been uh, or some people who have been uh, really uh, really over my shoulder and, and and arm in arm with me, literally in everything I've done. I've been really fortunate. So you think of, you think of those names and others, right? That 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 have been mentors for Scott in his life, and how cool it is for them to know that this guy has carried on and done so much with with with, their, with a lot of them in the, in him, right? Yeah. I mean, Craig and and Dick and Ray and all these guys. So how fun is that? And then lastly, I want to I want to ask when you when you you know you're around the globe, you're you're seeing CEOs and businesses from everywhere in the in the world, Scott. Um, what's the advantage to, to to American the American free enterprise system? Do you see one, and, and tell me about that if you if you do? Yeah, you know, I, I I'm thinking it's it's not. I, I believe I believe in capitalism, and I, I believe in the free enterprise system, and, and I believe in in the opportunity. Uh, but uh, we're seeing a lot of opportunity in communist countries. We're seeing a lot of opportunity in, in what we would think of as, as socialist countries as well. I think the magic of America is, is really this this sense of unbounded culture. I mean, we're not limited, okay? And in, in, in fact, um, there's uh, there's collectivist societies, and then there's more individual societies. And, and I, I would argue that uh, um, uh, the United States and, and Western Europe tend to be a little bit more individualistic uh, relative to a lot of different uh, different uh, um, attitudes. And there's always where does collectivism and individualism overlap? But the magic of, of, of America is one. This is my home. This is I know. This is who I am innately. Is um, uh, we're we're just unbounded. Uh, there, there's really this this culture that's built up, and I think it's in our DNA. Uh, I'm somebody who's grown up and lived here. That uh, that it's it anything's possible. You know, you look at some of these other societies and they do have caste systems and it really is hard to get from one level to another level. But here in America, you can, you can look at somebody who started as an immigrant or started with nothing or started with just a little something in an education, but uh, a lot of guts and a lot of fortitude. And, and, and they turn out to have not just have wealth. I, I think it's not about the wealth. Right. I think it's far more about what they do with with what what we would consider their success and how they give back and how how, how they serve society in the whole. And you just look at some extraordinary Americans who who, who didn't do, didn't inherit what they have, 
but you look at what they're doing and and, and it's um it's so inspiring and and, and I, th- I think it's rooted in our capitalist system of course and our free enterprise of course uh, but but it's it's our DNA that's our magic and and, and our culture and our attitude and and um, as long as we can keep that alive um, I, I think I think we'll still be you know four percent of the global population generating more than 20 percent of global GDP uh, just because um, um, we can and we do. And we don't see any reason why not. And, and, and I think that's been powerful. So the impact is the biggest thing that you see. The impact that, that we're able to make in, in America as, as, as entrepreneurs, leaders in business and all that is, is, the, is the coolest thing. And you're, it, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, go further, right? Because philanthropy in America is bigger than anywhere else. Okay? You, 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 look, you look at the way that, that people participate outside their businesses to do other things in very significant ways. And while there's rich families in a lot of different countries and the rest – the, the, the sheer magnitude of, of middle class and other people doing philanthropy as well, um, uh, it just says it's really part of our culture and, and it's, it's particularly special, whether it be the Cancer Society, whether it be, um, you know, the Polar Plunge. Or, you know, there, there's so many ways that people participate in, in actually making society better. And, it, and it's, it's far collectivist across, across the population, which, which I think is uh, just fascinating. And, and I really Really honor that. Q usually has his Q take his, his takeaways here. So yeah, let's, man, let's hear it, brother. Absolutely, oh, yeah. absolutely. Got some. Oh, listen, I was definitely writing some of this stuff down that you have, Scott. Quentin's true takeaways. I have five quick ones for you guys. First, and uh, this is kudos to to Dick himself. Uh, do what is right, not what is easy. Um, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs at least that i know try to do it the other way around but what you said is extremely key which keeps the integrity live another one it's all about the people especially when it comes to business purpose people process brings capital oh my gosh what i mean and then when we talked about the scaling aspect whatever you do do it on purpose and you spoke about the five key areas intentionality purpose behind the intentionality empowering your environment Focus on the achievement, and I appreciate you saying that, not the effort, but more importantly, which I think is even the embodiment of true mentors, but servant leadership. Um, learning comes from what you know and who you do it with, right? That's, that's huge. You know, association is key in everything. And this really is the start of me and, me and uh, uh, Gary's relationship, but you nailed it on the head. When you ask a good question, a human will respond to it. And when I first met Gary, I asked him, hey, can I get a cup of coffee with you? And that started the whole uh, idea of what authentic mentorship looks like, at least to me and, and Gary and, and, and this podcast and everything else that we have. So, uh, you know, we've definitely um, interviewed a lot of people, Scott. And now one thing I can say is you have an abundance of human capital. You are true, true and through. And I'm looking forward to building more rapport with you, my friend, and uh, and uh, I just appreciate you being on. Seriously, there you, there you go. Heard from heard from my buddy who sees you know leadership and business and and all over the globe, right? You, you can't get that just anywhere, right? You can't you can't have a guy like this just anywhere, right? Telling us these stories and 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 giving us sharing his experience. So, so Scott, you're you're a invaluable person in my life and so many lives, and I really appreciate you, brother. And thanks so much for spending your time with us today. Thank you, guys. This has been a real treat. I appreciate you, and uh, we'll see you soon, Gary. God bless you, brother. And we'll see you next time on Ditch Diggers CEO. See ya! 
If you enjoy this show, please share it with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. We're blessed to build a business in America where soldiers fight for our freedom every day. Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck rolling down highway. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man